I invite all of you this morning to turn back to Luke chapter 2. So we continue on this journey this Christmas season with uh, different biblical perspectives of exactly what happened at Christmas. Anytime you want to see a full story, look at it from different angles. So that's what we've been doing. We've been looking at the Christmas narrative, the Christmas story in the scriptures from different angles. We started in Galatians 4. And we saw as the Apostle Paul to these churches in the region of Galatia said, at just the exact time, Galatians 4, 4, God sent his son. This was in the mind of God before, the, before even the foundations of the world. He had ordained the exact right time to send his son, Jesus Christ. And then last week, we looked at the Christmas story from the perspective of these angels, we're not going to go through and reteach what we looked at last week, but I'm going to tell you, I've been thinking about that all week. What are these angels observing, even this week, unfold in human history? These angels, some of them created for the exact moment in time where they would now proclaim to these shepherds that the rescuer had come. I love this. In my mind this week, I've been, I've been going back to the creation of the world. So as we kind of review in our minds what's happening with these angels, very quickly, they were created by God at some point prior to the creation of the world. And actually we see in the Old Testament through Job and then even in Psalms, we find that when God created the world, these angels shouted. Can you imagine that? Watching God create the world, watching the earth come to being through the direct voice of God Almighty, nudging each other and saying, did you see that? You can't miss this. Look what he's making now. This God's so amazing. In these six days, he creates this world out of his beauty and out of his creativity. And these angels are all nudging themselves saying, this is amazing. And we go back and, and this history of what God's done through the scriptures, these angels watching as Adam and Eve rebel against a holy God, thinking these angels also probably nudging themselves when, Mary, uh, when, when Adam and Eve are in the garden saying, oh, look at this. Oh, no. Adam, Eve, don't do it. Wanting to come alive and attack this serpent, this wicked one, this master deceiver. And God the Father, very in my mind, imagination goes here. God the Father says, nope, I've got a special one to crush that serpent. Don't touch him yet. But the special one will come. In Genesis 3, we find the promise of a rescuer that will crush the head of Satan. This is the promise from the beginning of our Bibles all the way through. So we've been looking at this from different angles. Today we come to these lowly shepherds. I love the story of these shepherds. Um, we live in a very status-driven culture. This is nothing new. It's all the way from the inception of time, uh, from the first creations, from the first fall, that people are constantly trying to place themselves up in status, climb this ladder, well, what we find here in these fields is a group of lowly shepherds. And so today, what we're going to do is, is kind of place ourselves in their sandals that night. 
I'm going to start reading in verse 8, and I'm just going to simply read from verse 8 all the way to verse 20 this morning. We're going to read about these camping out shepherds in their tent. Verse 8 says this, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good, t- good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So before we get into these, some descriptions of these shepherds, I want us to back up. We're, we're immediately, we immediately want to go into this field where we see the angels. But I want us to back up over 4,000 years before we even get to the field of Bethlehem. I want us to think about not the field of Bethlehem, but I want us to think on the Garden of Eden. We've tried to start there often because the story starts in Garden of Eden. I want us to think about what happened there as Adam and Eve rebelled against a holy God and God's beautiful creation was marred. This sin affected everything. God Almighty promised immediately that a rescuer would come. We've talked of this often. The last couple of weeks we've tried to key right into Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. That the rescuer would come, promised at the beginning of our scriptures. This rescuer would come and what would he do? He would set it all right. He would take this broken relationship of a rebellious human and a holy God And he would mend this relationship. That's what this rescuer would do. But but what's mentioned here in Genesis 3 is that this rescuer would crush the head of Satan while his heel is bruised. What, What does that indicate? As we've been talking about, that indicates very clearly that as the crushing is happening, there's also pain that's going to happen to the rescuer. This rescuer, we know because we know the rest of the story, is the Christ child born miraculously, lived selfishly, perfectly in this broken world, ministered selflessly, 
died sacrificially and rose victoriously. That's who God has promised in Genesis chapter 3. So in this equation, there's a bit of pain that needs to happen, though, in order for God to see this plan fulfilled. And I think right away in the garden, we see pain happen. Where do we see pain happen? Rather than God immediately killing Adam and Eve, who dies in their stead? There were animals that died. The substitutes for Adam and Eve. Right away in the garden, two animals were killed to do what? To cover Adam and Eve. Do you remember the story? So right away, we're setting this pattern of a substitute. A substitute, an animal shedding the blood, looking forward to, as we know the rest of the story now, the perfect lamb, Jesus Christ. So what's established in the scriptures? From the onset in the scriptures, we find a group of people, worshipers of God, who are very in tune to these things. Sheep. The animals. Taking care of these animals for a, a very specific reason. Not simply to have pets, not simply to have food, but because this animal was a way that they could see their, I mean, in, in a very amazing way, their, this animal would take the substitute that they would have a relationship with a holy God. All the way through hi human history, we see this. What happens 2,500 years after the garden? On a mount called Mount Sinai, Moses receives a covenant of God with the people of Israel. And in this covenant, we find very clearly articulated the death of sheep, the death of animals as substitutionary coverings for the sin of people. The point is this, there's, there's a norm that's set in biblical history that these animals would take on the substitutionary covering for the sin of people. Looking forward to the perfect lamb to come. This perfect one was Jesus Christ. So if you think about this though, very practically, what needs to be set in place for these things to be around? We're talking about these shepherds. Think about this with me. In the Old Testament, God establishes his plan and, and he continues his plan forward through these things that we've talked about called covenants. Do you remember this? Every single one of the main men involved in the covenants from God had at some time in their life taken care of animals. Think about Noah. He certainly took care of a bunch of animals. I want you to think about Moses. What did he do for 40 years of his life? After being raised in Egypt for 40 years of his life, he took care of sheep. I want you to think of Abraham and how God blessed his life through taking care of animals. Okay, let's even think about the Davidic covenant through King David. What did David do? The one who penned the words of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Every one of these ones, who, these men who God advanced his covenant story we're shepherds taking care of these critters. When we think about Scripture, it's very clear that what was necessary was these sheep. Throughout all of biblical history, leading us directly to Jesus, the blood of animals was a symbolic covering for what would ultimately happen through Jesus Christ. 
So naturally, historically, God's people were notorious for taking care of sheep, taking care of these animals. Many of these animals that they would take care of, and I would say probably most of these animals that they would take care of were used in sacrificial offering to God. So, we remember the setting of this story. I'm going to go back one. This story in the fields now. What are these guys doing? They're simply doing what's happened all the way through biblical history. Five miles from Jerusalem, these guys are taking care of sheep that very likely within this same week would be sacrificed as coverings. A universal decree from Caesar Augustus, right here, we remember the story, I'll just review it quickly in Luke 2. A universal decree from Caesar Augustus. We've seen him before. We saw him in Philippians. Octavius, this first Roman emperor, this guy establishes this decree that everyone would be counted and taxed. Remember the story. We talked a bit more last week. Hundreds of thousands of people were traveling. For the Jews, we're talking about a little bit of metro overload in Jerusalem. Just very practically thinking, Jerusalem was packed. But this was not necessarily abnormal for Jerusalem, was it? Several times through the year, primarily three times through the year, there was a mass group of people that would come into Jerusalem. They would sacrifice to God and enjoy the Jewish festivals, the feasts, and involved in this were the sacrifices for atonement. This is what happened on a regular basis. But five miles away from Jerusalem, something else is happening. That is the setting of this story. Five miles away from all of what's happening in Jerusalem and even what's happening in Bethlehem, these shepherds are out in the fields with these sheep. We're talking about a bit of solace, possibly a bit of quietness. In this story, we find shepherds who had essentially escaped. I love this, because I could see myself out in the fields. When town gets busy, going out in the fields, escaping, getting out there, and they're enjoying this peace and quiet, very possibly seeing or hearing what's happening in Jerusalem or even in Bethlehem. They're out in the fields, enjoying a little bit of quiet time with these sheep, possibly the sheep in their fold. We don't know exactly. Maybe they're out in the field, but most likely in this culture, they had corralled these sheep into a fold, and the shepherd would lay across the front of the, the, the door I love that analogy when it comes to what Jesus Christ says about himself. This shepherd is laying across as the door, the sheep. He's protecting these sheep. And then all of a sudden, this shepherd and the other shepherds, some of them may be even on sleep watch, so that doesn't really match, sleeping while others are watching, taking it easy, are rudely awoken, awakened, by hundreds, if not thousands, if not millions of angels proclaiming God's glory. That's what we looked at last week. These shepherds, scared to death in this field, wondering what's happening. That's where we find ourselves in Luke 2. So what we're going to do this morning is just simply describe the different aspects of these shepherds, starting with this one. These shepherds in these fields in Bethlehem, they were participating in a very lowly occupation. 
In our minds, sometimes we take shepherds and we kind of lift them up in our minds. And even sometimes in scriptures it does that, but very practically in a cultural setting here in Jerusalem, these were not your status-driven people. In fact, in the culture of what was happening at this time, these shepherds were actually very subpar. They were ordinary people. And what do we read in the scripture? And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Who were these shepherds? Brothers and sisters in Christ. They were ordinary people. I love this. They were not of nobility. These shepherds were not wealthy people. These shepherds were not prestigious. They were not influential. They were not significant. They were not respected. They were not prominent. They were not even admired. Culturally, these shepherds held a very uh, subpar status. Actually, these shepherds were most likely even despised at times for the many ways they were known as being unclean. Ironically enough, they were taking care of the sheep that would be sacrificed for other unclean people. These shepherds, I think of their lives, I think of vagabond lifestyle, always transient, always moving around. That's why they were despised in this culture. This group of people, these shepherds, were not known as the people that you want to go to if you want to climb that social ladder. These are the people that are just out in the fields. Let's kind of forget about those people. Yet, brothers and sisters in Christ, these are exactly the fellas that God chose to share the greatest news of all time with. Not kings, not scribes, not Pharisees, not princes, not nobility, not philosophers, but lowly, ordinary shepherds. That is who God advanced his story through. What about these shepherds? I mean, you can go through their culture and you find very clearly that these guys were, were modest workers. Again, they were lowly. This is not a prestigious occupation in this culture. With meager compensation, they were in a lower class culture in Israel. Shepherds were definitely, this word comes to mind often, subpar. Nevertheless, they were hard workers. These guys knew how to work. When we think about their lives, we think not just of modest workers. They're tough protectors. I mean, we can go back even in the Old Testament and see in the life of David, what did he do to protect the sheep? These guys knew what to do to protect these sheep. In fact, a lot of these guys, these were not their personal sheep. They were hirelings. They were, they were taking care of someone else's sheep, the rich people's sheep. And these shepherds were responsible to protect these sheep. In fact, if one of them died or were attacked, they would, they would take possibly even a cut or lose their opportunity to continue to watch the herd, the flock. These guys were tough protectors. When we think about these fellows out in the fields, not only were they modest workers and tough protectors, they were creative caretakers. They knew how to take care of these sheep in a very creative way. Why do we say creative? Do you remember a couple months ago when we studied Psalm 23? In our minds, we see Psalm 23 in these, these pastures of green grass, like knee-high alfalfa comes to our mind. However, that is not the climate of an arid Israel. 
We're talking about mountainsides that has one tuft of grass here and one tuft of grass here leading to a little stream, possibly even, even a, a more of a river at times. But when we think about these shepherds, they had to be very creative in how they guarded and guided these sheep. And in this journey, as they took care of these sheep, well, what was happening? They're protecting, as we go to the previous point, the tough protector. They're protecting from animals. They're protecting from robbers. These guys are tough dudes. Tough protectors, creative caretakers. When I think about these guys, I think about caring guardians. Although hirelings weren't always known for being caring guardians, I think the overwhelming evidence of the scriptures was that these shepherds really did care. Best evidence, I think, in this is, is Psalm 23. What do we find in the scriptures is that, th- is that these shepherds cared for these sheep. I think another good evidence is what Jesus Christ himself calls himself. I am the good shepherd. There were shepherds that were known as good. They were caring. They cared for these sheep. And then I think more to the point today is this. They were reflective worshipers. And I I don't think this list is on your notes today. Maybe you write them to the side. But just think with me about the worship scenario for these shepherds. What am I talking about? These shepherds were, were ones who deeply understood the sacrificial system of Israel. Do you understand what I'm saying? They would not only help use, deliver their lambs in the field... But then they would see them raised. These these lambs would be raised. And why were they raised? They were raised to die. Only to see these, they would see these lambs raised only to see them carted off away for another temple sacrifice. These shepherds knew very deeply the pain of losing an animal in sacrifice. If we could say it this way, these shepherds knew the sacrifice of the sacrifice very well. They lived it out in a very real way. This last month, I know there's been two close friends even in this congregation that have lost pets, dogs. When I think about that, I think of this bond, this bond we have. I have a special bond with my dog. I have a special bond, even uh, we have animals around our property. And there's, it's funny to watch certain ones of the kids gravitate towards certain ones of the animals. Uh, obviously, Kara with her horse, and Sila has her little bunnies she takes care of. Uh, we have the chickens, and watch as they have them named. David has a duck that he names. And see this special bond. But I want to think more than that. I want to think about these shepherds who see these lambs born all the time and and taking care of them and walking them all the way through the countryside, protecting them. I'm going to tell you, I can only imagine that at times when these sheep are carted off that a little bit of tear would come down the eyes of these shepherds. These are sheep they cared for. They understood the sacrifice of sacrifice very well. These shepherds were shocked when something happened in the field that night. As tough as they were, I believe that they would have shed occasional tears. Some say, and I I mean, I don't want to exaggerate this, but as you look at historians, they would say 
that 50,000 sheep would have been sacrificed every year in this time of history. Or 50,000. I mean, that's a lot of sheep. And these shepherds all through the countryside would take care of these sheep. And now these shepherds, these shepherds who were modest workers, they were tough protectors, they were creative caretakers, they were caring guardians, they were reflective worshipers. Something happens to these dudes. And where do we find what happens to them? Verse 9. Verse 9 says this, the shepherds were shocked with astonishing truth. I'll just read this again if you follow along. Verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. What's happening here? I think two astonishing things are happening here. One of, one of them is the astonishing means of the, of the communication. All right. And then is the astonishing truth that is being communicated. What's the means that's happening here? We talked of it last week. These guys very well sleeping, some of them, are woken up by this horde of angels, by this one angel, and then this host of angels proclaiming God's glory, shattering the overwhelmingly quiet scene in the fields. I love how this is described in uh, the Greek language. Here's the words used. Phobon megon. All right, we can understand that. Just put it this way. A phobia that's mega. <laughs> Megaphobia. Have you ever had a mega phobia? I mean, something happened in your life. I brought this up last week. A lot of times that's happened to me when I've been camping out. Well, not a lot. Several times where, where something will happen to me when I'm sleeping out in the field. Or uh, my friends and I, when we'd be hunting, sometimes we'd just sleep under the stars you woken up at night with some loud noise, some coyote right next to your head, right next to, your, uh, right next to where you're sleeping out under the stars, just screaming. And you jump up. You're ready to defend yourself. But I think a good word to say is the word stunned. I mentioned an illustration last week when I was with a group of junior high dudes. We were out on this camp, camping trip at this campsite. And we're out in our tents, got all the kids settled down. All these guys are finally done talking sleeping a little bit, and like 2.30 in the morning, all of a sudden, this blood-curling scream from one of the campsites next to us, and then hearing other guys come around, what's happening? What happened is I wanted to jump up and go help, but the first thing that happens when you wake out, up out of a deep sleep is that you are stunned. I mean, you're trying to exit the tent from the window. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, trying to get your way out of your sleeping bag. It's stunning, Think about these shepherds with this megaphobia that's happening in their lives right now. These tough protectors. These guys who are ready to jump up at any time of night to protect their sheep from an animal or from someone that wants to sneak in and steal one of these sheep. And these guys, these tough dudes, are scared to death. That was the means of communication. These angels from heaven, we looked at them last week. But what was the news that was given to them? Think about this astonishing news. These guys out there who most of their lives they've been treated as just these normal dudes, subpar dudes out in the field. And now all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, is coming to them and telling them not to be afraid, but he's got amazing news that's going to be to all people. Can you imagine being that shepherd? 
being those shepherds in that field that night? The truth was this. Good news of great joy that shall be to all people. And I'm going to advance it to this slide here. I bring you good news of great joy. We looked at this last week. This is the gospel of all the people that God could send his chosen angels to go proclaim the best news ever. It was lowly shepherds out there protecting their humble sheep. The news was, this will bring great joy, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. I want to just pause right there, because this is very personal for these shepherds, because the angel says, for unto you. I know, in a broad sense, this is talking about Israel. This is talking about what God's doing in his master plan. But what would those shepherds have heard? Me? To me, this Savior has come? The perfect Lamb of all history has come for me? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. This is that rescuer, that deliverer that we talked of last week. He is Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the Lord. He is the divine master of all the universe. And this one has come for me? And then I love this part. Can you imagine them nudging each other after hearing this? Verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, a feeding trough, which these shepherds knew very well what a feeding trough was. I, I think very possibly these shepherds looking at each other like, are you getting this? In a feeding trough is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Messiah, the promised one to Abraham, the promised one from David, the promised one that we've seen through Genesis. He's going to be, he's, he's laying in a feeding trough. Astonishing news these shepherds received. And then the last proclamation, I believe by this time in the announcement, these guys had gone maybe from shaking, possibly even other bodily fluids <laughs> to the point now where I believe probably tears were streaming down their faces in utter shock and utter humiliation that the Savior is here. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. This is something that these guys wanted. They wanted peace. They've seen one sheep after another headed to the trespass offering, headed to atonement. And now the perfect lamb is here? What's the point? These shepherds were confronted with astonishing truth. But these shepherds were not frozen in their decision. I want us to look at another description of these guys. The shepherds responded to the compelling news. We know this story, but think about what happened right after the angels who surprisingly appeared. What did they do next? Quickly disappeared. So we love the story of all these angels out there lighting up the sky and, and proclaiming God's glory as a host, but then they disappeared. Can you imagine, and we only have a brief conversation here, the discussion of these shepherds? <laughs> maybe some of them couldn't say a word, but maybe the representative of their group was like, 
guys, someone's got to say something. We got to do something. Did you hear that? Guys, did you hear what they just said? First of all, did you see that? Then did you hear that? And what was the response of the shepherds? When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And I want to just quickly pause there to the previous point, which the Lord has made known to us. Sometimes we breeze through that. I honestly think that these shepherds are looking at each other saying, really? To us? Who are we? Who are we that this, this, this angel would have come to? This angel came, guys, to us? Really? Maybe they missed the field. <laughs> Maybe they're supposed to be five miles from here over in Jerusalem to some prestigious person over there. To us? He's made known to us? What's the simple point? By faith, these shepherds responded to the call. They responded to the news. How did they respond? I think very clearly we find it here in the red. They went with haste. They're like, we got to see this. We got to get there. We don't know exactly how far they were from the stable, but I could imagine some of these shepherds who walk most of the way, places they go, maybe they run to protect their sheep. They were on full-on sprint to get to this stable. Maybe some of them burning more calories than they had in a month and a half getting there. These shepherds went with haste. They hurried to find Jesus. Possibly faster than any parent at Target on Black Friday. <laughs> They got there. They found what they wanted to find. They found what was revealed. When we think about how they responded, I just want to make this a very simple takeaway for you and for me. This is precisely what has happened to each one of us who have come to Christ in salvation. What am I talking about? We have responded in faith to the compelling news that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. I also want to be clear on this. This is precisely what God desires from every one of you in this room who have not responded to the call to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. What do I mean? You're not here by mistake today. God wanted you here today. You are meant to be here today to hear that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Maybe you've been wrestling this for some time. What well, can I say this? Make haste to respond. Make haste to call Jesus Christ your Lord, to give him your life, to come to him in this repentant faith saying, I have decided to follow Jesus, no longer looking this way, always to look this way, no longer turning back. Maybe that's you today. Would you respond to Jesus Christ? Maybe you've been thinking through this for the last couple of weeks as we've been talking. Maybe you've been holding out. What if today was the day when you came to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance? There's more to this story and this description of these shepherds. Not only did the shepherds participate in their lowly occupation, not only did they, were they shocked with this astonishing truth, not only did these shepherds respond with compelling news, they responded to this compelling news, but also I think we find clear evidence of this. The shepherds proclaimed the good news. I love this. 
verse 17 is on the screen. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And then all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. What's the simple point? Brothers and sisters in Jesus, the natural response of these shepherds who personally interacted with Jesus was that they would want to now share the good news. This was the news they could not hold on to. They couldn't conceal it. I think these shepherds looking at each other and saying, did you hear this? We got to tell somebody about this. Who were the first proclaimers of this good news after seeing Jesus Christ? It was the shepherds, the lowly shepherds. They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child and what was told them. Remember back to verse 11. Here's what was told them. That this day in the city of David, there's a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What did they go share? Hey, everybody, the Messiah is here. The Lord of all creation is here. The King of kings and Lord of lords, he is here. A simple application as I was thinking about this this week, a simple takeaway is this. This good, this good news is worth proclaiming. <laughs> It's contagious. When you experience, you can't help but share it. When you've truly experienced the grace and glory of an almighty God, you cannot contain it. I think we find that evidence in this passage. And so the question is this, do I actually treat the good news like it was good news? Brothers and sisters in Christ, during this Christmas season, do we treat the good news as if it was good news. The good tidings of great joy, as if it were truly good tidings of great joy for all people. I'm not talking about ignoring the bad news before you get to the good news, because that's entirely necessary in the scriptures, that we are sinners. But the good news is this, we are sinners who can be saved by God's grace. That God's grace is sufficient for every one of our sins. God's grace is sufficient to bring us into right relationship with a holy God. And once we've experienced that, I believe just like the shepherds, we cannot contain the good news. Are we earnestly proclaiming the good news of the rescuer this Christmas season to coworkers, classmates, neighbors, friends, teammates, relatives? The fact is this, if we truly believe this rescuer can rescue, we cannot keep our mouths shut. So these shepherds, as we continue on in this brief discussion, this description, they were participating in their lowly occupation, they were shocked with the astonishing truth, they they responded to the compelling news, and then they proclaimed the good news. And we find another description here, the shepherds continued to worship God. What's said in verse 20? And the shepherds returned, they glorif- glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Can you imagine these guys in this field? Again, brother, did you just see that? Would you just, would you just pinch me? <laughs> Make sure I'm really awake? Did we really all just see that, or was that just me having one of those crazy dreams? And all of them together say, no, no, that really just happened. I can imagine their walk back to their sheep in that fold, 
their walk back just looking at each other and all of a sudden one of them breaking out in a laugh. <laughs> Guys, did you just, really? Another one just breaking out and crying. Guys, really? That was the savior of the world that we just saw? The simple point is this. These shepherds' lives were transformed. The fact is, when someone truly experiencing the, experiences the saving grace of Jesus Christ, they can't help but continue on in a life of wholehearted worship, whole life worship. Not that there won't be hurdles along the way. Not that there won't be struggles with our old flesh. But when we've truly come to Jesus Christ in faith, we can't help but respond in a life of full worship. I am yours. I'm not here today to share something new. <laughs> so maybe you thought today we're going to get something new. No, this isn't something new. This is, I mean, maybe there are new aspects that we hadn't considered before, but I'm not here today to share a new story. What I'm here to do today is to get all of us to take a fresh look at the most valuable old story that you will ever hear. That Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He came to save the lowly, the humble, the insignificant. Jesus Christ came to save me and you. I love what Charles Wesley, in, in coordination with John, or George Whitfield, who happens to be one of my favorite preachers ever, George Whitfield, he proclaimed this, they proclaimed this, Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail, incarnate deity, pleased as men with men to dwell, Jesus, he's our Emmanuel, hail, hail him. The heaven-born Prince of Peace, hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them a second birth. That is why this Savior, Jesus Christ, came. I realize this passage is much more descriptive than instructive, thinking about it in a technical sense, but there's definitely a takeaway we can, we can take home with us today. If we summarize this story in Luke chapter 2 from the shepherd's perspective, I would think you would have to say something like this. God's plan includes ordinary people who respond to an extraordinary Savior. As seen through the unexpected visit to the shepherds, God's plan includes ordinary individuals who should respond to an extraordinary Savior with faith, proclamation, and worship. I can't get through this sermon without going to this passage in closing. I've been overwhelmed with this passage on several different occasions. As an elder team, we've been studying through this passage. It gets me. Paul, to a status-driven church in Corinth, says this. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to the worldly standards. 
Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. And here's the reason, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God's plan includes ordinary individuals like me and you who should respond to an extraordinary Savior. So what? Quickly. What's the takeaway? First of all, this question, I have to ask this question. Have you responded to the good news? I don't want to take for granted that every single person in this room today has responded to the good news. Have you? Would today be that day to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone? Maybe you've been wrestling with this for some time. Maybe the Holy Spirit's been drawing you. Come to me. Drawing you to faith. Would today be that day? The best day of your life? Here's another question. Do I confidently proclaim the good news to those of us who have experienced this grace experienced this salvation how confidently do we proclaim this i love what paul says in romans 1 16 i am not ashamed of the gospel of christ why it is the power of god unto salvation to everyone who believes this gospel has never shamed a true believer a single true believer so not a single true believer should ever be ashamed by the gospel The last question we'll ask today is this. Do I faithfully worship because of the good news? Does this not compel you to faithfully worship this week? To join the angels and the shepherds and to sing praises to our great God for his amazing gift in Jesus Christ. As seen through the unexpected visit of the angel to the shepherds, God's plan includes ordinary individuals who should respond to an extraordinary Jesus with faith, proclamation, and worship.